You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group. American National Insurance, and Spiritless. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit americannational.com dine. If you listen to this podcast, you know I love a great founder story. That's why I love the story of Kentucky 74 from Spiritless, Three young women from Louisville, Kentucky, who had the idea for a healthier bourbon. Healthier in the sense it has no alcohol. So you can have an evening cocktail with no guilt and almost no calories. It is so delicious. I love to squeeze an orange slice, a couple of dashes of bitters, shake it with ice, and then strain it into a beautiful glass and just kick back. If you'd like to try a bottle of Spiritless, you can use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Welcome to To Dine For The Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Darren K. Roberts. There is a lot to be gained from being in the back of the room and gleaning what you're hearing instead of trying to sort of show how smart you are, how much you know. Darren K. Roberts is a former NFL coach and author of Call and Audible. Roberts is the founder and founding director of the Center for Sports Leadership and Innovation at the University of Texas. The center is the first university-based institute dedicated to developing leadership and character curricula for high school, collegiate, and professional athletes. 
Through the center, Roberts teaches a course, a game plan for winning at life to incoming freshman student athletes. He's a graduate of Harvard Law School, and he's served as a coach for the Kansas City Chiefs, Detroit Lions, West Virginia Mountaineers, and Cleveland Browns. Please enjoy my conversation with Darren K. Roberts. When I think about Darren K. Roberts, first of all, what does the K mean? Kurt, it's my dad's name. It's Kurt, K-I-R-T. Okay, and it's very important. You always go by Darren K. Roberts, and is that an homage to your dad? Yeah, you know, I've always loved the initial. Uh, My dad and I have a great relationship. You know, I I say that he was my superhero from um, zero to 18. He was the dumbest man I knew from 19 to 30 and then became my superhero again. Once I figured out that he was he was right about ninety nine point five percent of the things that uh, he told me, so yeah, it is, and yeah, he's a, he's a special one. Yeah, yeah. So, Coach Darren K. Roberts, when I see you, and when you come up on my Instagram feed, I always think I just call you Coach because I feel like everything you say and you do is about forward motion, not just for yourself but for others. Let's begin at the beginning. So, were you a great athlete as a kid? You know, you're in athletics now, you're a former NFL coach, but were you, what were you really good at and were, did you love athletics as a child? You know, my parents, um, dad, a Baptist minister, he was also a scientist with the Department of Agriculture. My mom was an elementary school principal. I never had any real motivation to be great at sports. I enjoyed <laughs> it because it was fun. Um, but I think unlike a lot of guys I grew up with, I never saw it as the stepping stone to anything else. Mm -hmm. Never carried any illusions that I would, you know, play after high school. And my parents were very adamant about that. You know, this is just something you do on the side. Mm -hmm. Your studies are your most, the most important thing that you'll ever do here. Okay, so take me to like junior, senior year of high school. What did you want to do? Because we know, and you're going to get into your career as an NFL coach, you went to Harvard Law, but like right at that junior, senior year in high school, did you want to go to law school? Yeah, I read a book. My dad gave me a book at the age of, I believe it was eight. It was a um, kid's book about Thurgood Marshall. I want to be a Supreme Court justice or governor of Texas. So I was very much in the public service realm. Yeah, political science, government. Yeah, so that was, I, I knew that, I knew law would factor into this final destination somewhere in one of the three branches of government. And it was kind of evenly split between serving on the Supreme Court or being the governor of Texas. And so that was the plan as a junior and a senior in high school. You go to the University of Texas, correct? Yeah, yeah. And you begin to make some attempts at Harvard Law. Take me through. Yeah, You're young and you're oftentimes, I know people will identify with this, you're on a very linear, if A then B, if B then C type of roadmap. And so at that point, I was delusional enough to believe that if I just charted this course, which for me was Harvard Law School practice in Houston, return to my hometown of Mount Pleasant, hang a shingle, run for the state Senate, become governor. So that was kind of the roadmap. Right? Wow, you had the you had it all mapped out. You knew yeah, what you wanted yeah. to do. And there was a next step and this was it. So it was law school. And where, why not Harvard? That was it, right? It was like, if you're gonna go, go to the best, best law school in the world. And Let's Harvard. go to the top. And uh, I get, I get, you know, going into my last year, I was filled with a bit of hubris because I was student body president of the largest university on, uh, in the country. I had a great GPA, it was an honors program, had a great LSAT score. So I 
thought that I was just going to walk into Harvard Law School and uh -huh. I get the letter back and I get waitlisted. Mm. That for me was the first time in my life that I really had to intentionally hit the reset button. Mm -hmm. And I went this dark period for a couple of weeks where I was just very depressed and disappointed that I did not get into the school of my dreams. But is that was that your first really big rejection? Yeah, you know, I was fortunate. I mean, save for the, the ninth grade girlfriend who wouldn't go with me to the prom, <laughs> I can't really... If I did, I can't remember it, and probably because I was in such a supportive environment with my mom and dad that it doesn't register with me. Okay. But if, if I survey the landscape of my rejections, that would be the first one that left an imprint. So, I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, if the first real big roadblock you're gonna get is Harvard Law, you're doing pretty good. But how many times did you apply to Harvard Law? Because one of the things that I think really marks your career and makes you a standout in so many ways is your ability to not give up because you applied to Harvard Law how many times? Four times. So I apply in 01, I don't get in. I go to work for Joe Lieberman in the Senate in 01. I always tell people, I don't want to be in DC. I want to be in law school, but I'm there for September 11th. I'm working on uh, national security bills. I mean, to, to whatever higher order you subscribe, somehow the universe found a way to place me in DC during one of the landmark moments of our history. So I did that and reapplied, get waitlisted, finally get, uh, I get into the Kennedy School of Government. So I go for a master's, I go two years there, I'm reapplying, I don't get in. And I finally get a call from the dean. This was two months before the start of law school. I'm already signed up to start at Columbia. That's, I'm like, listen, this is my last shot. I'm going to Columbia, picking out apartments. And um, she said, hey, I have one last slot left in the class. Do you want it? And that's, that's how it started. Wow. And what was that moment like? Yeah, it was really surreal. You know, it's one of those things where if the first year I felt distraught and sad and years two, three, and four, it just became a game in the sense of, you know, how can I tweak this? You know, new letters of recommendation, rewrite a personal statement, try to find connections to the school. I took a visit to the school. You know, the admissions office is sort of behind like this it's inside of a black box. I mean, it's difficult to even find people who work there, which I understand why. But I remember taking the train from DC to, to uh, Boston and spending like a week there and just hanging out and nothing seemed to work. So it was, um, it felt good to finally get in. Yeah, I bet it felt great. I bet it felt really great. And and your experience there at Harvard Law, yeah. you know, you're, you've all this dreaming and, and plotting and you get there. What was that experience like? And how do you feel like that shaped you? A couple of things about Harvard Law School I will say is that I've, I will tell people it for me, it stood out for me because there was the highest concentration of not only smart, but people with a worldview that it, that was more expansive than I'd see. I mean, I've gone to UT, great place, but I think, you know, there are 550 of us in a class and I was just astounded by the fact that people were coming from so many different experiences, had seen so much and had so many different viewpoints on how they would shape law in some way. So your experience there, like talk about mind blown, eyes open, if you can make it there, yeah, I think the one thing that I found out um, the first week was that it wasn't like anyone was smarter. 
you know, I wasn't, I didn't feel out of water in the sense of intellect. I was drowning in other people's ideas, which was very good. It wasn't mm. the fact that they could remember more case law. I mean, we all spent most of our nights in, you know, Langdale Library until the wee hours of the morning reading the same books. I didn't find the material to be that challenging, but it was it was infinitely interesting to hear how people would apply the exact same case law based upon their reference point from life, whether it was they grew up in Tel Aviv and they've been working in the Palestinian Israeli conflict for most of their lives and they are interpreting it through that lens or you know, they're a uh, community worker in Tampa and they're thinking through voting rights. So the first year was demanding, but I, I enjoyed it. So, you know, when, when someone has a degree from Harvard Law, the assumption is they can write their ticket, right? They can do anything they want. I mean, really, that kind of background, that kind of pedigree sets you up for success in life, whatever you want to do, if you choose to accept it. You make a radical choice to want to coach for the NFL. Take me through that, right? Yeah. Why not go on to a, a law firm? What, when did you make that decision and why did you make it? Yeah, Kate, I think the first point I want to I want to go back to your first point, which is if you go to a place like Harvard Law School, the thought is you can write your ticket. The reality is that most people don't. So mm. I viewed I had a different mm. view of law school, even though I had these earlier notions of public service. I also recognize for me the real value in going to a place like that is that I could convince people justifiably or not that they should take a shot, a chance on me in other spaces, investment banking. Not, yes. So I saw it as, look, we're paying for this degree, not so we can go and get burrow ourselves in the law. For some people who really want to do that, go for it. Right. But if you ever want to go, if you want to be a chef or you want to, you know, it's a carousel of people with mm -hmm. different backgrounds and detours, Harvard Law gives you in many ways an excuse, right or wrong, to skip the line. And people yes. will say, okay, Right? Yes. So yes. It's like a gold card. It's like having yes, a gold hey. card and waving it and saying, I want to go this way. And they're like, oh, Harvard Law? Sure. Come on right. in. And, and, you know, and there's some dumb folks from Harvard Law. And that's that's the way it is. But people people will take a gamble. So the summer before my last year of law school, I worked at a camp, a football camp. I loved it. I wasn't thinking about being a football coach, but it struck me as something I wanted to do. Told my parents I would. Went back to law school, wrote a letter to 32 teams. One team said yes to Kansas City Chiefs. I graduated from June 6th, walk across the stage, take my diploma from Elena Kagan, pictures with the family. The next morning, I was in a um, in my Tahoe driving from Cambridge, Mass to Kansas City, Missouri. And that was the beginning of a seven-year career in um, the NFL and college. And you took the job unpaid at, at the beginning, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah. So... You know, look, I talk to a lot of people who are going through midlife crises or folks who want to pivot their careers. And I say, look, if you're in education, if you're an educator or if you're an investment banker or if you're a lawyer and you want to go into somewhere in the culinary space or become an actress or a writer, the reality is that the people in the industry that you really admired probably don't give a damn about what you did before. Like none of that subject matter expertise from as you know, in the investment banking space is going to help you in the kitchen. Right. So the entry point's going to be low. And I was more than happy to take no pay, no benefits, work 18 hour days and just learn because the NFL in my mind is, it is the Harvard law of world sports. I mean, I don't yes. think there's, you know, we're talking about, 
games that on average are won by three to four points. So the right. margin of victory is low. And there are 14 to 15 coaches on each staff for 20 weeks of the year obsessing over strategy and how to get their players better. Mm-hmm. And so for that sort of education, I was willing to pay them to give me the opportunity. So it was it was a no-brainer, even though my classmates were making 150 k plus. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail, but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails, but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. At the beginning of this podcast, I ask, what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? While the To Dine For podcast provides the restaurants and the people, where are you getting your wine? Uncork.com is an online wine shop that brings the best part of buying wine right into your home. This carefully curated collection of wines range in price to accommodate every budget, from everyday best buys all the way to very special occasion wines. Uncork.com features family-owned wineries from all corners of the globe, California to France, Washington to Italy. If you're looking to broaden your wine horizons, learn about new producers and get great customer service, just like your local wine shop, head over to uncork.com. Use code TDF20 to get 20% off your first purchase. Now back to our conversation. You strike me as an extremely strategic guy. You, you were on a path. You wanted to be the governor of Texas, and you thought the way to get there was to go to law school, and you had it all plotted out. Something pretty magical must have happened at that camp the summer before that said to you, wow, I need to change course. Because you told me that originally you went to law school because you wanted to be the governor of Texas, okay? So yes. what was it that happened at that camp yeah. that said, uh-uh? You know, sometimes when we're on a path and we're chugging away and we're going after it, we realize maybe this isn't the right path. Yeah. And it's moments like that that I, I think really determine our path if we listen to them. And I'm wondering with all your, you know, going to the Kennedy School and then going to law school and trying so many times, if, if in that journey in, and maybe getting exhausted at that journey is when you really kind of had an epiphany. Yeah, I'll tell you this. With public service... I just naturally became disinterested in that as a destination. I remember working on, you know, you're working in DC, 
2001. Think about the time period, right? It's, it's Bush v. Gore, the aftermath. And so every day I would read the, the Post and the Times and the Journal. And um, there wasn't a pivotal moment in D.C. where I said, I don't want this anymore. I just lost interest. Yeah. And I always tell people, you know, notice what lights you up. And when I noticed that the lights were dim in that yeah. space of my brain, I accepted that and kept going. At the camp, I worked three days, the South Carolina football camp. I coached 66th graders. I had no background as a, as a coach. I was there with a buddy who was a coach and who was volunteering. They needed someone to fill in for someone who didn't show up. I took the gig. I'm doing everything from bed check to parading with these guys on the football field for three days. I just noticed I didn't have to set my alarm clock to get up. Like that was the first mm -hmm. indicator to me that there was something going on in my system in the sense of I was up at 530, excited and ready to go. Mm. I will tell you that for me, the comparison was the three law firms that I had clerked with over two years. I was never that excited to go to the office. Like mm. it wasn't like when I was clerking at insert law firm here, I won't mention them. I wasn't waking up on a Thursday thinking, bam, today we're going to be in court. It's going to be freaking <laughs> awesome. I can't wait. And that is not, I'm not saying that to disparage the law in no, no, any no. way. I think we don't spend enough time with ourselves to understand when we, when something in us is changing, it's never a judgmental viewpoint of the outside world. It's just what's going on inside of you. Absolutely. So something happened at that camp where not only you were enjoying yourself, you're getting up early, you were ready. It was something that you felt, did you feel like it was a calling? It was, or was it just something you wanted to pursue? Yeah, I would like to say it was a Damascus moment. I kind of got, you know, struck off my horse. I would just say that I really loved being around young men and helping to mold them, if even for a short period of time. That's amazing. You know, it was one of these where I like, look, this right now in my life feels really good and I want more of it. Mm -hmm. And I also was in a very non-committal phase of my life where I was also very comfortable with going to intern with the Chiefs and hating it and figuring out the next move. Like I almost found comfort in the pivots and the detours and the cul-de-sacs. So you're, you're, you're coaching in the NFL. You are learning like you've never learned before because I asked you at the beginning, I go, were you really into athletics? You're like, not really. I enjoyed it. I got to hang out with my friends at church. You know, so you were not someone who had studied the sport of football to the degree that was necessary to be an NFL coach. So when you get the job, you are in full on, it's almost like you're in Harvard Law again, right? But it's the NFL. Yeah, yeah. What are, during your time in the NFL, what are your big takeaways from that experience? And was there a moment that you will remember for the rest of your life as like a wow moment? Yeah, big takeaway number one, you can learn a lot if you just shut up and listen. Mm -hmm. So for the first year, I literally sat in the back of meeting rooms and I still have 21 notebooks that I filled from beginning to end of just listening to coaches, wide receiver coaches, the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, the head coach. I sat in every meeting for the entire season and just took notes. It was very different from my law school experience where you're on a call to talk about the case, how it applies. I just soaked it up. And that the first lesson for me was, wow, there is a lot to be gained from being in the back of the room and gleaning what you're hearing instead of trying to sort of show how smart you are, or how mm -hmm. much you know. Mm -hmm. All of the educational environments I had been involved with, 
DC was all about people trying to prove to other people that they knew something. <laughs> yes. And I was in a place where everyone knew I didn't know and I needed to learn. Mm. I absorbed so many lessons from that experience. I would say uh, takeaway number two for me was if you can show someone that you can make them incrementally better, mm. they'll buy in. Mm. So the point here was I had a background where my last day of playing football was in 1996. Now I was a team captain. I was an all district strong safety, but didn't play in college. I finally got a chance to be a real coach in year three. I go to the Detroit Lions mm. as an assistant secondary coach. I'm coaching grown men every day. And I would take all of their film from the previous year and I would dissect every movement they made and would sit down with them and say, hey, look, here's what I see. If we can improve your game in these three areas, you will see better performance once the season starts. Mm. And you know what? They never asked me about Harvard Law School. They didn't care that my dad's name was, you know, wasn't Belichick. Mm -hmm. If they saw results from my instruction, they were in. So I think mm -hmm. that that's something I hope will kind of um, encourage people who are wanting to make pivots. Mm -hmm. If you can get good enough at your craft that people know you can help them to get better, mm -hmm. everything up to that point becomes irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Last thing I will say, the third takeaway for me was elite people are really different. How? You know, it's uh, Calvin Johnson, 6'5", 238 pound wide receiver with the Detroit Lions. This guy could run a 4.3840. You know, for some of the listeners who are like, what the hell does that mean? He was just damn fast. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. He could stand and jump 46 inches flat footed. Wow. He also had a 3.92 GPA in engineering from Georgia Tech. Both his parents were doctors. This is a guy who could just show up on Sundays and be better than 95% of the folks, right? Just mm -hmm. all the genetic stuff mm -hmm. was there in terms mm -hmm. of height, speed. Kate, he was the hardest working guy mm -hmm. on the 53-man roster. If you didn't know him, you would think that he was the seventh round draft pick who is constantly afraid that he's about to get cut. Mm. Like first guy in the building, mm. last guy out. First guy to take a hundred catches of balls before practice starts. He's the guy who's going to catch extra balls for every one that he misses at practice. Mm. He's watching his own film. He's calling his wide receivers coach in the middle of the night. I think this oftentimes gets, well, we don't get a chance to see it during a game. Elite players have an obsessive preparation, like this mm. regimen of preparation that is otherworldly. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to want to be elite. If you can just get a moderated version of that dimension in your life, yes, the ROI is infinite. Interesting. Not only is he talented, just raw talent, intellect, but also you've got that third leg, that third leg of a triangle of just hard work because everyone has a different definition of what hard work is. And I imagine where you sat, you got to see what people at the elite level call hard work. And it's, as you said, otherworldly. Yeah. And it's not stuff that you will get credit for on ESPN, right? That's the thing that really amazed me was that ESPN will play in an infinite loop the corner of the end zone, two seconds left, falling on your back, catch for a touchdown. But they don't see this guy in an empty practice facility 
walking through every play in the playbook on his own. Mm. Doesn't have to do it, but is going to do it. Doesn't have to do it. He was big into visualization, like like literally visualizing how the game may play out. Yeah. Kate, it made just an impression on me that whatever my chosen craft would become, and I'm also, I'm a, I'm a non-believer. I don't believe in a purpose. I believe that we have purposes in the plural sense mm-hmm. and that life kind of calls us to play a different purpose at different points in our lives. And I said, whatever craft I choose at whatever point in life that I'm in, I want to apply the work ethic of a Calvin Johnson. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Well, yeah. for folks that do not, are not familiar with you, Darren, Darren K. Roberts. Um, <laughs> you know, listen, we're, we're from the old country. You can call me Darren K. Roberts. Okay. I want, if people are looking you up, I want them to find you. That's why I'm saying Darren K. Roberts. Okay. I know. It, You're a good you, host. You do on LinkedIn, you do these segments and snippets where you say, this is not about sports and you apply sports lessons, but you, you talk about life and it is so interesting and so fascinating fascinating. And I imagine your time in the NFL set you up for this because you were probably learning so many life lessons coming, crashing over you. You didn't, they were swirling around your head. You didn't have time to write them down. And now with your work at UT, um, with your leadership Institute, tell people a little bit about what you do with that and some of the lessons that you hope to impart and share with the world. Yeah. You know, the, the dirty secret about me is that I've never really been that interested in sports in terms of like the outcome and stats and who's going to win the game. I don't, I'm not a fan of any team. I don't have any NFL teams that I root for. Uh, I root for the University of Texas because I went there. But other than that, I'm pretty ambivalent. For me, sport, you know, the world of sports is really just a crucible for, for, for life stuff. Mm. Like I could care less who has the most passing yards in the Super Bowl. But I'm always looking at sports moments and trying to extract the life lessons from what I see on tape. Mm-hmm. So, you know, writing those, this is not about sports posts on LinkedIn really allows me to flex that, that muscle that says, okay, I'll give an example. Here is um, John Harbaugh, the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, in a very critical moment at the end of the game, asking his quarterback, do you want to go for it on fourth down? He keeps in, they're they're trying to communicate. He's like, do you want to go for it? Typically the head coach makes that decision. Hmm. But here's a coach asking his quarterback, is this what you want to do? And Hmm. I wrote a post about trust, right? Like Hmm. it's something we, you know, it's, it's all on, it's all on the, our websites and the company brochures. But if you're leading men and women, do you really trust them? And, mm. and like, do they know that you trust them? And do you show that by giving them agency? The rest, you know, for the last seven years, I came to UT, came back to UT, started a center for sports leadership and innovation. We teach leadership, financial literacy classes to all of our freshman athletes. We help our former pro athletes transition back into what we call civilian life. So after they're done in the NBA or the WNBA, we help them transition back into um, this next phase of their careers. And it's been fun. You know, we've had 
Kevin Durant, Sean White, Mia Hamm, people we've worked with in the past. And yeah, we're looking forward to the future. Okay, so I love that. Look, that that's a coach. That last quote. That's how. Like, that's how that's a coach. Wrap up. That's how a coach <laughs> ends any. That's how a coach ends every press conference. <laughs> but nice segue there, Darren. Um, beyond what you've done with this founding in this institute at the UT, you are a speaker. You are a consultant. You're an author. When you look back on every aspect of your career, what part of it is most uniquely you? You know, because you've done a lot and you're doing a lot, but what part of it do you feel most at home when you're doing? Yeah, the the art of writing will always hold a permanent first place in my pantheon of crafts. Um, I wow. enjoy speaking quite a bit. It, it would be second place. I can't tell you the excruciating joy that I get from sitting in front of a computer with this infinite sea of words and trying to pluck the right assortment mm. of words to convey something that's in my head. Mm. And I call it excruciating joy. It, I mean, it is it is painful in the moment, but mm -hmm. you know when you put something down and it expresses exactly what's in your your heart or your soul nothing compares to that so you know i'm going through a transition right now where i do some venture capital work i i teach i'm actually going on sabbatical in a couple of months because i am in the process of reclaiming more of my time mm -hmm. in order to put it into the craft of writing so mm. that's the thing that i want to be known for isn't it interesting when you look back at how much time you spent pursuing things that had nothing to do with writing when that's where you felt where you, that's where you feel now the most at home? Yeah, you know what I will say too. This is a really cuz I think this is a really good point and I think that I had a coach that always would say um like as, right? Like this is similar to this. And mm -hmm. so take law school. People will tell me, "Man, you uh you kind of wasted your Harvard Law degree. Like, I mean, man, you could have been, you could have been up for consideration. You know, Biden could have been thinking about you. Um, you could be the governor of Texas by now, Texas, Darren. Right, governor of Texas. And I said, you know, what's interesting is that, and they asked me, would I do it the same way? And I said, absolutely, because I can't remember more than five cases that I covered in three years in Harvard Law School. But what I do remember is the, the practice of strategizing Mm. crafting arguments, mm. anticipating counter arguments, mm -hmm. that practice mm -hmm. is a mirror image of what coaches do sitting in a dark room watching film. Yes. They're going to play the team on Sunday. Yes. Okay. Who are their best players? What are their best plays? Well, who are our best players? What's going to happen when we do this? How are they going to counter that? It's the exact same practice. Yeah, strategy. It's strategy. Yeah. And I also think to myself, like with writing, being in those different worlds, vastly different worlds, Harvard Law School, the NFL, now the University of Texas, being in some rooms of venture capitalists, it just really helps to sharpen my written communication because I'm constantly thinking about how something reads to a particular audience mm -hmm. and trying to cut. And sometimes for some pieces of writing, you're trying to kind of cut this middle hedge so the highest number of people can get what you're trying to say. Mm -hmm. So it's all in a weird way essential for me to get to where I am. Well, and also you have something to write about. 
I mean, yeah. you, you've had all these experiences to draw upon to write about, right? And so yeah. that makes you an infinitely more interesting writer when you've had these experiences in the NFL and Harvard Law and UT, right? Yeah. No, you know, it's, it, yeah, you know, I, I would tell you this, my, my parents, my graduation gift from high school was a savings account. And they said, we mm. will match you for every dollar you put into this account. Mm. The caveat is you have to spend it on international travel. Oh, wow. That is unbelievable. Wow. So you talk about a one-to-one -one match. Yes. It's got to be spent to get out of the U.S. Incredible. Because that is an education in and of itself. I mean, they're the most forward-thinking. I love them. They're still alive and doing well up in East Texas. And I, I can't tell you how much that reshaped my worldview coming from a town of 12,291 people in East Texas. Yes. Because I went to all seven continents by age 27. Wow. That's and it incredible. just, because you know, didn't have a family, and I'm glad I did it because it's a lot harder to coordinate these sorts of things. You know, my wife and I have five incredible kiddos. It's harder to just get up and jump on a on a flight in Austin into uh, Tel Aviv now. Yeah, it's almost impossible. I know. I have three. I have three children. You, I can't, you beat me with five. Tell me quickly because we're running out of time. Yeah. I I usually ask people about their favorite restaurant. Picking a favorite restaurant in Austin, Texas, is a very Ooh. difficult proposition. I'm gonna throw it out there. But while you're thinking of that, I know that with your five children, you on Saturday mornings, I believe, or maybe it's gotta be Saturday mornings, that you visit a different donut shop every Saturday and you call yourself the Donut Council with your five children. Yes, yes, I love yes. this story. I love it, love it, love it. Tell us. So part one, I'm gonna cheat on this one. Mm -hmm. I'm actually going to choose my favorite restaurant in Kansas City, Missouri. Ooh. It's called LC's Barbecue. Oof. Now, let me tell you something. This is one of those kind of joints in which you walk in and it's part bomb shelter. It's part, <laughs> you know, no one has scraped the grease off of the floor behind the pit. It's authentic. Uh, it's authentic. I mean, there's hickory and mesquite piled up by the, by the pit. And I'm a Texan, so I consider myself to be, have a very discriminating tongue as it relates to barbecue. Sure. And, it, and it's out of the way. You, you, you're... You mean to go to LC's. You don't find It's a destination. It's a destination. Yeah. But I remember, you know, working seven days a week and getting like a, a Sunday night escape mm -hmm. and driving over and getting a rack of ribs and watching the the, the, the TV that was a 50-50 proposition whether or not it was working <laughs> that night. And some of the best barbecue in the country. In fact, when Kansas City played the, who did they play? They played someone in their last game in the playoffs. Oh, they were playing the Bills the mayors got together and they, you know, wagered meals from each city mm -hmm. and the mayor of KC wagered a rack of ribs from LC's. So LC's <laughs> is my favorite spot. I love it. Excellence, wow. the best. Yes. And yes. then um, the Donut Council, listen, this was a commitment that um, I made when I left coaching. I got fired from the Browns in 13, was home scrambling eggs. My oldest son was three. He said, you eat breakfast? And it hit me that he had never seen me eat breakfast. Wow, because you'd work so hard. Work so hard. so hard. Sleeping at the office two nights a week. So I finally realized, this is what I know about myself. If it's not in my calendar, mm. there's a very low probability that it's going to happen. Mm. That's when it comes to work, family, health. Mm. I need the backdrop of a calendar to lead me in where I want to go. Mm -hmm. So I said, hey, every Saturday morning, we're going to go to a different donut shop. 
it's just dad and the kids. Mm-hmm. And at the time we had three and then we worked our way up to five here in Austin. And we just go and we sit down and look, now my kids range from five to 11. And so we're talking about everything from what happened in school to what they're excited about for the weekend. And it's been the best club I've joined. So Yeah. At the end of the day, it's about time, right? How do you spend your time? And you know, as you know, you got to if you want to be the best at the in the NFL, you got to put in the time. If you want to yes. be the best as a dad, you got to put in the time. I, it always, I'm always struck by your LinkedIn posts start off with "This is not about sports," but you know, you by, by talking to you, you get the feeling that you could take sports, you could leave them. Like you like it, but it's not your everything. And yeah. so I feel like there's so much more to you saying this is not about sports. And I just love what you're doing. And I can't wait to see what you end up doing next because I know you're writing and strategizing and there's more to come from coach Darren K. Roberts. Look, like I said, you're the only person <laughs> on the planet that could convince me to do a podcast <laughs> interview. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Spiritless, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.